Our, our folks that occupy these community engagement professional positions come from a diversity of backgrounds. So you can imagine some are coming out of the ranks of being faculty, some are coming out of um, the space of being community organizers, some have come through the um, progression of being student affairs professionals in higher education, and they work at a diversity of institutions. So that varied set of backgrounds and the varied set of institutions in which they do their work means that the application materials that we were reviewing were these rich, beautifully varied examples of how community engagement is done in a myriad of ways. Hi, everyone. I'm Marisa Morales. I'm Andrew Seligson. And I'm Emily Shields, and this is the Compact Nation podcast. Hello, fellow podcasters. Hi, Emily. How's it going? I'm good. How's everybody today? Enjoying the beautiful weather in Chicago, finally. It's yes. like 78 degrees and sunny, which is yes. a miracle. I'm enjoying enjoying being taunted by people in the Midwest. Who have, oh, is it not, <laughs> yeah. not nice there yet? I mean, oh. um, I mean, I wouldn't say it's not nice. It's, there's a blue sky outside when you're like, you know, wrapping your scarf around you and dealing with the fact that it's windy and cold. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, my daughter last week, because it was still windy and cold last week, asked me, because she's learning to write, but obviously like has to ask me every single letter we're in that stage. And she wanted to spell, dear summer, hurry up. <laughs> <laughs> That's cute. <laughs> Which I, I agreed with. Yeah. Um, well, my so, son just celebrated yeah. a birthday. 15. <gasps> yeah. 15? 15, yeah. Oh, so, Lordy mama. Yeah. And, you know, uh, <laughs> Maggie's uh, son and my son share the same birthday, except two years apart. So. Yes, Ma- Maggie Grove, uh, Campus Compact Vice President for Strategy and Operations. So the two Campus Compact Vice Presidents' sons born the same day. Yeah. I mean... That pretty much says it all, I think. Right. <laughs> but Marisol, I honestly, the thought of having a 15-year-old fills me with dread and nausea. So. Yes, it should. It is like that. Okay. <laughs> Although it's, it's weird because like for the last two years, I've been getting like total attitude. And then these last few days since he turned 15, he's been really, really nice. So I'm like, are the hormones gone? Like did the transition happen? <laughs> that seems bad. That seems like something he's... I don't know. I'm going to take it as long as I can get it. Like, (laughs) hugs and kisses. I love you, mommy. Like, oh, all right. I can get used to this. (laughs) Okay. Well, take that then. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay. So I'm pretty excited about this episode. And we're kind of going to dive right into it because we have a lot of good interviews for everybody. But decided to bring the the conversation on the podcast back around to our credential program, our community engagement professional credential program, which we have spent about the last two years I don't know when we're counting the beginning of this, but I've been building it for quite a while, have completed a pilot, have launched two micro-credentials. Andrew, give us just some background on what is up with this program and why we're talking about it today. Yeah, so we, yeah, I was trying to think of when we actually started at least first kind of conceptualizing this, and it goes back, I think, three to four years. And we, we had a few ideas in mind. One was that... 
civic civic and community engagement professionals come from a wide variety of professional pathways, a wide variety of educational pathways. But there is a body of knowledge and understanding and wisdom that has been developed through research, through practice over decades about how to do this work well, how to do it ethically, how to do it effectively. And we thought, given the diversity of the backgrounds of the people doing the work, it would be important to create sort of pathways to connect people with that knowledge, that experience, uh, and to do it in a way that encouraged people to be reflective about their practice, to ask themselves questions about what they knew well how to do and, and where they still had opportunities for growth and development. And so in that context, uh, a number of us working together began to envision a credentialing program that would give people sort of targets to shoot at personally in terms of their learning and development, professionally in terms of being able to demonstrate to others skills, competencies that they developed. And so a couple of years ago, we worked with Lena Dostilio, who we're going to work hear from in just a moment. Um, Lena is associate chancellor, associate vice chancellor for community engagement at the University of Pittsburgh. And she led a research effort involving a team of researchers from across the country to really understand what are the competencies that drive this work. They engaged in surveys and dialogues with professionals and people who connect with the professionals in this field and uh, kind of help begin to build a competency model. We published a book uh, that Lena wrote. Uh, on that model, and that's available for purchase. And then the second book about kind of putting that work into practice. And so all of that was kind of preliminary to really building an, a structure of a program. And Emily, as you said, we now have completed a pilot of the first two micro-credentials in what will be a growing series of micro-credentials. The first two are community partnerships and community engagement fundamentals. And so we thought it would be interesting to hear both from Lena today, uh, who we'll hear from in just a moment, as well as some of the participants in this pilot phase as we now are launching the uh, the kind of unpilot real version of those first two micro-credentials with more to come later in this year. So let's go first to my conversation with Lena Dostilio, Associate Vice Chancellor for Community Engagement at the University of Pittsburgh. Lena Dostilio, welcome to the Compact Nation podcast. Thanks for having me. So in your case, this involves having you back as you are making an early bid for the Compact Nation Hall of Fame with a repeat appearance, which we greatly appreciate. And so I feel like we're sort of picking up a story a couple of years down the road. You have been involved with Campus Compact for quite a while and thinking about professional development, professional learning, competencies of community engagement professionals and how to uh, help people develop and build on those. And so I wanted to jump into the role that you're playing right now in our credentialing program. And um, so you're a member of the board uh, that's focused on the content of the program. And I wonder if you could just talk a little bit about the role that you played in the pilot phase of this program and, and just what it actually looked like in practice. 
Sure. So uh, the others who are on that content advisory board and myself, we we were really lucky to be a part of the conversation about which micro-credentials would be piloted. So in this case, it's the fundamentals of community engagement and high-quality partnerships. And um, as a part of that conversation, we, we discussed some of the basic components that would be included in those micro-credentials and then were the lucky people to, to review the list of pilot applicants and the, their materials. And so can you just talk about what does it actually involve to review those materials? What's the process that that you went through? Yeah, uh, we were sent the dossiers uh, of the applicants. Um, and so people approach this micro-credential in different ways. Some people, as you can imagine, when you're developing a body of work that points to the experiences you have and the knowledge that you've gained over time, um, some people are, they're excited to produce a narrative, right? It's almost a reflective component for themselves that allows them to share with their reviewers the breadth of work that they've done and then specific materials that um, either they developed or that make mention of the role that they played in some of that work. And then, of course, there are uh, some very specific reflective prompts that our applicants responded to. So we get these dossiers of materials. Each of them looks a little bit different. We are assigned a, a number of those applicants for whom we are their reviewers. And we take a matrix, a review rubric, if you will, and we take a look through, through those materials and we try to figure out, um, is this person emerging? Are they someone who has a pretty good grasp on those areas of competence? Are they advanced? And um, we identify what are the strengths of that applicant's uh, package and then what are some areas for potential growth and professional development? And then it also gave us as reviewers an opportunity to reflect on the process of piloting micro-credentials and to provide some feedback on ways that that micro-credential application could be strengthened or the ways that we instruct folks to, to develop their materials. So when you think about kind of the materials themselves and the the applicants pursuing the micro-credentials, what are some things that, that struck you or jumped out at you? I was struck by the diversity of examples of work that were provided as evidence of competence. So first of all, you know, we've known this from the research that we did to even articulate who community engagement professionals are. Our, our folks that occupy these community engagement professional positions come from a diversity of backgrounds. So you can imagine some are coming out of the ranks of being faculty. Some are coming out of um, the space of being community organizers. Some have come through the um, progression of being student affairs professionals in higher education. And they work at a diversity of institutions. So that varied set of backgrounds and the varied set of institutions in which they do their work means that the application materials that we were reviewing were these rich, beautifully varied examples of how community engagement is done in a myriad of ways. So from uh, just a, a research perspective or someone that's been following the identity development of community engagement professionals, I was so uh, inspired and I would say excited to see how rich the field of work is. In other words, this is not an instance where one body of work is a one size fits all, right? It's, it's not sort of like a... a very templated cookbook kind of thing that we do. It's very artful. And so the materials that we were reviewing spoke to that artfulness and it spoke to the variations in the work that make it so appropriate for the context in which we find ourselves. So maybe um, 
So I'm thinking about the fact that you approach this with at least kind of two distinct identities. I'm not not really distinct, but analytically distinct. One is, as you just mentioned, a researcher who's been uh, exploring questions related to competency and community engagement professionals for a number of years. And you're also yourself a community engagement professional doing this work uh, through the University of Pittsburgh, and you've been doing it in the city of Pittsburgh for quite a while. And I'm wondering if if we take the first of those identities, the kind of researcher whose own work, you know, in many ways has helped inform this program and uh, form, you know, a, a piece of the backdrop, a crucial piece of the backdrop for how it was developed. Are there new questions that popped out to you as you were wrestling this or uh, that is to say wrestling with this material or are there uh, kind of new insights into old questions, questions you've been thinking about for a while that you're now thinking about in new ways? That's a great question, Andrew. I So a couple things. Um, first, I would actually say that I come with maybe three identities, right? Researcher, community engagement professional, and then supervisor of other community engagement professionals. That last one is important here in this question because at the University of Pittsburgh, we've been developing a very interesting body of place-based engagement work. And so the staff that I've been hiring into the positions to lead our place-based engagements frequently come from community spaces. There are people who are community leaders embedded in communities, um, may not have worked in higher education before. And so I was reading, and in some cases, reading these materials of our applicants for the micro-credentials through this lens of, is it as accessible to pursue this micro-credential as a community-based practitioner as it is someone that has spent, let's say, maybe 10 years in higher education. And I have to say, I think it is. I was, um, this new insight that I gained was that I, I feel like the way that Compact has structured the micro-credential, it allows for, as I said before, a diversity of backgrounds and experiences to be prepared, to be preparation for exhibiting these competencies. So that was an identity lens that I brought to my review and a new insight that I gained from it. When I think about the research that I've been doing, and I should mention, part of that is uh, is the new special issue of the Journal of Higher Education Outreach and Engagement. It's the March 2019 issue in which we curated a set of articles that really expanded the competency model for community engagement professionals and started to bridge into new work. Often the question that's on my mind in that identity lens as researcher is where else does this competency model need to go? What are the the fields of practice related to the community engagement professional that haven't been sufficiently examined? And one of those that came across in one of my applicants' materials was um, around economic development and the marriage of economic development and community engagement. And that's also been work that the Association of Public and Land-Grant Universities has been exploring by marrying its economic development commission and its community engagement body. So I, you know, I think that if we took a look at the applicant materials for the micro-credential and created a, a data bank out of those of sorts, we would start to see the um, pretty grounded ways in which our field of practice has been expanding and the kinds of work that are um, underneath the purview of community engagement professionals, but maybe don't sort of sit in that mainstream of literature that we often read and write about when we're talking about community engagement professionals. 
That's interesting. I mean, you know, certainly for us at Compact, through our civic action planning initiative, et cetera, we've been encouraging institutions to bring greater linkage between economic development efforts, community engagement in the form of engaging on sort of local issues, et cetera, and with local partners, uh, connecting that to the academic program, et cetera. So that's just encouraging for me to hear that you kind of see that developing in the, the materials. Yeah, and I think we should probably be specific, right? It's about inclusive economic development. It's about economic sufficiency and the ability to take advantage of economic progress at a community level, right? And I think those those worlds marry quite nicely. Yeah, no, and that's a good... I mean, I think, you know, that's an interesting dimension of all of this. I think that we are talking about value-infused work. And I'm wondering if you... Uh, if if that kind of popped up in any way for you, that is to say, um, different kinds of institutions may uh, incorporate different values in the way they structure, think about, uh, execute the work of community engagement. Did did that kind of show up in in materials you were seeing? Different approaches, different value systems. How did that look? Uh, I, so. I think from within the applicants' materials that I reviewed, it was evident to me that a big component of a community engagement professional's work is developing program and guiding relationships in a way that the values that undergird engagement at that particular institution and more broadly across the field are discussed uh, problematized, transmitted to others on that campus. So as an example, I recall reading artifacts where people um, who were applying for the micro-credential talked about the curriculum that they had developed to help faculty members understand what quality partnerships looked like um, or the summits that they held for community partners to discuss what equitable partnerships with the university might look like. And so, so it's about translating the values that are often spoken about or referenced into very tangible ways of transmitting those values into practice. And I find that really interesting. I think we could learn quite a bit from the different tactics that people have used to help transmit those values and clarify them. So I know one one feature of a program like this is that not everybody who pursues the credential will on their first application achieve it. And I wonder if you could reflect on that, because I think for some people, obviously, the you know, when we seek to achieve something, we're disappointed if we don't get there. And it can be daunting to take something on if we don't know whether we're going to succeed. Do you see uh, and I know some of the participants who applied in this round did not receive the, the credential. Can you talk about what you see as the value of the process for those who, at least on this first attempt, did not achieve the credential? Sure. You know, the value for people who may not have achieved the credential this go around is the ability to have a more reflective approach to their practice. I found that the micro credential was structured in a way that allowed people to to closely examine the kinds of experiences they've had, the leadership that they might have taken in whatever positional authority they have, whether that's as entry level staff or as unit leader, um, and also think very carefully about the ways that they have constructed knowledge and experience to move their work forward at a, at a campus. So reflection is important. And we talk about being reflective practitioners in this field. And yet 
it's very infrequent that we get the time to actually do that. So I feel like there's high value in being able to assess one's work and, and think about the work very, very deeply. But I also think there's a, there's another opportunity and that is, I think anytime you work on a reflective basis, you start to recognize where there are areas for professional growth. And part of the feedback that we were asked to provide as reviewers were to note what did the applicant perceive as their area for professional growth? And then what as a reviewer would we recommend? And I know in many cases, we recommended um, very specific actions like this applicant would do well with a mentor from some specific background or field or the opportunity to shadow or the opportunity to take take a hands-on approach in a project. And I, I feel like that is, um, that's of high value just to have someone really think through deeply, where are you at in your professional, uh, path and what other opportunities might you gain to be able to develop even further. And, and so in some ways, it felt a little bit like coaching, even though we weren't directly connected to the applicants, I could see how maybe if you took the reviewers recommendations and really thought about them as a professional development sequence, that could be pretty valuable. So you, as we talked about, have played a role in kind of how this, uh, you know, micro-credentialing program has come into existence and the, the competency focus at the center of it. And I'm just wondering now, as you kind of reflect on that process from uh, beginning the research, uh, you know, now several years ago uh, that grounded the book and working with a whole team of researchers as you did that, working with folks, uh, you know, in the context of this content advisory board and in reviewing these materials. Are there just some kind of macro reflections uh, that you might share with us at this stage? Yeah, I'd be happy to. So when I think about the body of work that we've been developing about the community engagement professionals' competencies, I think we began the work with an insight that it was always going to be evolving and incomplete, that, that it was something to respond to, but it was never a finalized, set-in-stone list of knowledge, skills, and dispositions. That instinct and uh, approach has held true. Um, and that, again, it, it was great to see more work added to this body of knowledge in that um, recent special issue of the Journal of Higher Education Outreach and Engagement. I think there's plenty of opportunities for that model to grow. One of the, the big takeaways that I have right now, let's see, we started the work in 2015, I think. So it's, it's been for almost going on five years now that we've been in this. Um, I think there's a tremendous appetite for naming and exploring what it is that we actually do. And so it never gets old, the conversation that I have with someone who's considering the competency model um, when they say something like, oh, my gosh, I've been looking for someone to articulate what we do. It's so much, but it doesn't feel overwhelming. Right. And, and so I think that's been a great takeaway for me, that there's this hunger just to have identity in the work. The second is that sometimes people perceive that maybe they should have all of the areas of skill and knowledge and disposition and critical commitments underneath their belt in order be, to be considered a community engagement professional. And that is absolutely not the case. You know, even in the early days of the work, we really pulled from research and literature around competency models and this idea of being a professional that said, 
it's really about iterative development. It's deepening the practice over the length of time that you're in the field. And so I find that um, as much as it's helpful to have an articulation of knowledge, skill, and disposition, I think that always needs to be taken with the idea that it's it's constantly developmental, that we're iteratively gaining deeper areas of practice. And so you're never going to find a community engagement professional that uh, has all of those areas. And likely you're never going to find the person that said, yep, checked it all off and I'm done with that. I think it's possible to think about using the model as, as far as developing teams or, or mapping out where you want to head in terms of your professional development. And certainly there's some threshold kinds of knowledge and skill and disposition in there, but it's a pretty complex endeavor. And I think it's just an opportunity to be reflective more than anything else. Hey, Andrew, I want to add something if I could. Go ahead. Just like launch in. Yeah. So I had such an amazing experience recently where I spoke about this work and about the concept of the community engagement professional at the 2019 National Association of Broader Impacts Summit. So the NABI Summit. And and if if our listeners aren't familiar with NABI, this is um, a body of folks that typically work on this at this this field of work called broader impact. So the National Science Foundation evaluates proposals on two criteria, intellectual merit and broader impacts. And our broader impacts colleagues, many of them are work in the field of science translation, but they also develop partnerships and engage the broader community, whether that's local community groups, after-school groups, K-12 organizations, informal education institutions like museums. And so I was invited to come out and give a talk about the community engagement professional. And something that we discussed during that session was that by having a micro-credential, by having a body of work that talks about the kind of things that community engagement professionals do, it also provides adjacent fields of practice with um, consumable, packaged articulations of this work. It, it becomes a resource for those other fields of practice. So for people that are in broader impacts, for people that are in economic development, for people that might be you know, in, in sort of access-based work who have a community engagement component to their work, this is a really helpful resource that I think extends well beyond those people that are sort of in the main of community engagement. Excellent. Uh, anything else you want to throw in? I'm excited that Campus Compact is supporting community engagement professionals. I think it is such a powerful opportunity to be able to grow and develop and reflect on our practice with mentors. I know in this case, it's through the guise of a reviewer, but for people who really care deeply about people developing professionally and Compact is taking on a really important role in helping us to do that. Excellent. Well, Lena, thank you again for all the work you've done in in all the roles we talked about as a researcher, as a leader in the practical work of community engagement that has really laid the groundwork for a lot of what we've been doing. And and you've given enormous amounts of your own time to actually helping us to to begin to execute uh, this credentialing program. And thank you as well for taking out some time to chat with us on the Compact Nation podcast. Great. It's a pleasure as always. And I hope that you'll have me back for a three-peat someday. I would not be shocked. We are back. Andrew, thanks for that great interview. It was wonderful to have Lena on the podcast again. As you mentioned, she's up there for Podcast Hall of Fame. Um, I think with Tim Eatman. By those that I think that's the Hall of Fame so far. Yeah. Um, 
it was really interesting to hear her, her perspective on the pilot. I was particularly interested in the thought that has been given to whether this credential can work for folks who aren't, you know, in and of higher education or maybe haven't always been in and of higher education. So it was um, interesting to hear her perspective and really seeing it play out that it seems like it can, because I think that's really important. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one, I love Lena. And uh, so I I think, you know, she's awesome, both in terms of the research that she did around this um, and the way that um, the thoughtfulness behind it and then having her involved in the pilot, I think, was really helpful in getting that perspective. And what I felt from the interview and particularly her take on the um, sort of inclusivity of the credential program was... Um, you know, a response to to some of the criticism I think we were getting or fear that this was this professionalization was going to lead to exclusion when, you know, all along we've been saying, no, actually, actually what we want this to lead to is access. And so sort of hearing that confirmation um, from Lena's experience with the um, the pilot and the review of the uh, micro-credentials was, uh, for me, really positive. And I think the opportunity that we have actually with this credential program to open up pathways to access to higher education for community members to serve as community engagement professionals. Yeah, I think, you know, for me, one of the really interesting and positive parts of this whole experience of developing the program has been just the the insights that people who've been working in the field a long time have shared about, as Marisol, as you were saying, their concerns in some cases that we might take something that is, uh, you know, that has been very relational and built through individual uh, sensitivity to circumstances and contexts and distinctive experiences, and that we might turn it into something much uh, sort of more locked down and just for people with a certain set of degrees. And we took that that fear very seriously because mm-hmm. it's clearly a thing that happens in higher education when Absolutely. you move in the direction of credentials or whatever. And so, yes, I agree. And I, I think it's something we have to stay attuned to. Um, but it looks right. Like at least the initial design um, is open as long as we remain open and we do things otherwise structurally to, to maintain that, uh, to, to not being a kind of closed off environment, but as you said, to inviting people in from a range of backgrounds and experiences. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I thought that was an uh, in- interesting conversation too, about just potential future directions. Like she had mentioned economic development. And I think that, um, you know, not only do we hope this credential will elevate folks in the field, elevate their skills and and that kind of thing, but also there's a lot we stand to learn from mm-hmm. seeing what folks are putting in those portfolios. And I think that's just a great example of that. Yeah. And I think, you know, given the pilot and some of the learning that came from that, especially the interest that people have in doing this uh, experience as a cohort allows us to also evolve, um, you know, with uh, the participants and really be able to be a learning organization that takes this knowledge that we get from folks participating in the credential program then to evolve our programming um, at the state and regional levels. Yep. Yeah, and I think that's a great uh, kind of jumping off point for 
the next conversation we have to share. So I sat down with three folks. One, Clayton Hurd, who is the director of professional learning for Campus Compact and is really leading this uh, credentialing program. Jason Williams, an assistant professor of justice studies at Montclair State University in New Jersey. And Emily Wu, who is assistant director of community outreach and project development in the Center for University Partnerships and Community Engagement at Dominican University of California and also teaches um, in the religion department there. Uh, And so it was an opportunity both Jason and Emily participated in the pilot phase of the micro-credentialing program. So this was a chance really to hear from Clayton about how that project uh, has developed through that phase and into the launch, and then from these two participants about what brought them to the credentialing program and and what their experience has been like. So let's uh, have a listen to that conversation now. Jason Williams, Emily Wu, Clayton Hurd, thank you all for being on the Compact Nation podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Good to be here. So I will start with Clayton. Uh, We know there's been a kind of pilot round of the credential program, and we're now moving forward. Can you just give us a sense of how the pilot round worked and, and where we're sitting now in the kind of development of the program? Sure. Uh, You know, the nature of a pilot is that you don't always have everything completely figured out. Uh, We'd certainly built the program, uh, had very strong uh, competencies uh, developed for the two micro-credentials that we launched. Um, But in some ways, our pilot was, uh, we're guinea pigs in the sense that this is the first time we've done a a real go-through with a credentialing uh, process. Um, So we had to uh, develop some ideas about how uh, the professionals would demonstrate their competencies in particular ways. And then we had to have some discussion uh, among our reviewers, which were part of our content board that really developed the, the areas of the, uh, the competency areas in the first place. And we had to sit down and kind of figure out how do we best evaluate these competencies. So uh, it was great. We had a big, uh, about 60 people interested in being involved in the pilot. And then when it was all said and done, which was sort of a short period that we were running the pilot, uh, we had just a little over 30 of them go through uh, and and participate in the pilot and do all the work. Um, and so we were able to review those, uh, get that information uh, finished, get it back to the pilot participants. And uh, the ones that earned it now have digital badges that they can keep with them uh, that show their uh, expertise in a particular area of uh, of uh, community uh, engagement. Uh, so we're excited about how the pilot went. Uh, we're, we've rolled out the program now in, in full form for two micro-credential areas, one being community partnerships and one being uh, community engagement fundamentals. So we're looking forward to seeing people apply and uh, continue the process. Great. And we'll we'll circle back, Clayton, maybe and hear a little bit more about uh, directions that we're heading based on the pilot. But let me turn now to Jason and Emily. And I think I have some questions I'll throw to kind of each of you in in sequence. Um, Maybe, Jason, let's start with you. What what got you interested in participating in this pilot round of the micro credentialing program? Well, visiting the Campus Compact's website and, I mean, looking at the wealth of information up there, but also, um, I guess, agreeing to this notion that 
you know, the uh, the badge and training, you know, and I hate to say prof- like sort of professionalizing this work. Right. But I guess I should say it professionalizing community engagement um, should sort of become a thing in a sense that when you look at pilots like these and, um, and, and badge programs like these, um, I can say for me, it does give you a, a sort of training, you know, because going through the program, there were many different things that I've learned. You know, I had to delve into other areas and read into different other literatures. And so um, after reading through the website, I became interested, uh, in, um, instantly interested because I'm like, wow, you know, so there are others out here doing this kind of work and I'd like to get to meet them and get to speak to them. And we had that opportunity going through this process. And, and let me just so your your primary role is as a faculty member. And did you know um, when when we thought about this program from the very beginning, we it was an open question for us who would be most interested in this people primarily in staff and administrative roles, people in faculty roles from from your perspective as a faculty member, what were the things that you thought you might gain by participating so definitely learning how to connect further to the community and and not only through the bibliographies that were provided on the website in various spaces on the website, but also through others who participated. Right. So we had the opportunity to do several um, calls again with Clayton, but also to communicate with each other sort of outside the boundaries of those calls. And so we learned from each other as well. We learned from each other as well. And it was just a great, great learning experience. Excellent. Emily, so um, maybe the, the same question. What what kind of initially captured your interest uh, in being a part of this program? Well, I think service learning and, and community engagement as a field for those who are in it, people feel like they've been doing it for a long time. <laughs> but for people who are not in it, they don't know that there's such a thing, right? And so I, I think there's a lot of perceptions of service learning and just community engagement in general that it's it, it's it's basically just sending students into the community and they do some stuff and you know and that that's nice, <laughs> but there's not a lot of recognition of of that as a real thing. Um, so I mean, I got interested because it. I mean, I wear two hats, right? I, I, I'm a faculty, but also a staff. Um, and I also do community um, engage outreach um, to, to, you know, a lot of times seek out um, new company partners and, and developing new, new um, projects in the community. And there's, there's value in, in having alignment <laughs> with what other people are doing in the rest of the country um, in in the sense that, uh, first of all, I, I, well, I don't feel that I'm crazy in doing my work. And, you know, um, I mean, I, I've known my colleagues, too, that um, Campus Compact has a lot of resources. We have colleagues online, um, usually pretty far away from us, who we, we talk to. Um, and we know that this... We, we know that there's alignment in our work and other people are doing excellent work. Um, but the sense that we could show other people that we're aligning the work and that there's a community, there's a field, there is a discipline of pedagogy in doing this work. And there's a community that um, strives 
to um, seek out more and more effective practices in this work. Um, that's all very exciting and it's important. And so I think, you know, and so when I see that there's actually a credential, uh, even if it's a micro credential, um, I thought that's very exciting that, you know, and, and, you know, definitely we should do this. So let's talk about the actual experience of kind of going through the credentialing process, since, you know, most of our listeners will will not have done this yet. Hopefully many will in the future. Um, Maybe we'll go back to you, Jason. Can you just kind of talk us through, like, what did you actually do? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, so I spent and I remember um, doing one of our follow up phone calls where we had to debrief on this. So I spent a good couple of days. Um, I can give you like the hour percentage, but a good couple of days actually collecting literature. So um, just to give you a quick background on what I do. Um, my entryway into the community is through a lot of my ethnographic research around policing and race, um, particularly in um, black and brown communities. So um, but again, what the micro credential um, demanded from me, for at least the track that I had chosen was the video. Right. And in this video, I had to sort of compose my my knowledges and what I knew about this area in that video. And so the first couple of days um for me, amounted to really sitting down and, and, and digesting the resources that the Compass Compact gives to you on that website. And I would say 60% of those resources um, were books and articles and such that I had no clue about. And um, and I say that in a way, like in a good, in a good way, because it was like, oh my God, like, where were you all this time? You know, and so I printed everything out, read them, digested them and sort of formulated them in a plan such that it can fit into my presentation in the end. Um, and what I did was I sort of combined that into a presentation that addressed police and community problems and how that would sort of connect to the college campus. So it, it was an amazing, an amazing process, an amazing process. But again, would not have been able to do it without those resources. So I was happy to at least see that you weren't sort of brought on and then told, OK, well, you know, this is what we need you to do now. Go on out and find a way to do it on your own. Right. No resources were given to us. And um, but also I should also note while resources were given to us and instructions were given to us, you had free range. You had free range. So there was this sort of inclusivity. There was this respect towards the reality that people are going to be coming into this through various different, you know, genealogies, if you will. So I was a criminologist. Others were straight from uh, the community, right? Others were um, also scholars, but let's say from education and so forth. So um, it, it was just a beautiful, beautiful experience. Emily, how would you describe kind of what what you actually did in practice? So this is I'm going to the my fifth year doing service learning, and because I also do prog- programming, um, it it was interesting. I think I didn't do a video. I, I just answered the questions and provided with um, provided a portfolio, um, but it was many hours, and it did feel like a recall. <laughs> seeing my own life flash in front of my eyes again and you know and to to sort of reorganize what what had worked what had not worked in my own work 
in working with the communities. And, and that was an interesting process because I, I haven't had a chance to do that for myself to, to see, well, what, what exactly have I done and what, what else do I probably need to do? And so there's a very extensive set of prompts um, that, that came with this, this program, this credential. And that was sometimes helpful and sometimes not helpful, right? Because I think it was helpful in a sense that it helps me organize, but then it wasn't so helpful in the sense that Again, you know, I think Jason said this too, that there are so many different entryways into this work. And there are times I feel like, huh, I don't, I, did I do this right? <laughs> did I not do this right? Um, There's a lot of self-doubt in the process too. Yeah. And so, I mean, it was a very interesting sort of self-exploration, if you will, in this process. Yeah. And if I can add it, I think in our, like during one of our last calls, one of the main takeaways was that we had to be reflexive, right? We had to look deep within and sort of, and a lot of us said, you know, we're always so busy working that we never take a moment out to actually think about the things that we've done, you know? And so we said that there was also a sort of discursive reward and even in, in just having to do that, right? So that was like an additional um, micro-credential, if you will. <laughs> just having to sit down and actually, you know, sift through some of the things that you have been doing, you know, and, and then to receive the feedback from even others on the call and and from the um, compact itself. So and, and for you, so, Jason, just to follow up on that, are there things that I realize this is all very recent? We haven't had like a summer to get, you know, in between. But are there things that you're thinking about now in terms of your own practice going forward that are different from what you were thinking about a few months ago before you undertook this process? Yes. So on my college campus, I'm involved now with a working group um, whose purpose is to actually uh, secure a grant. And it's about building new publics. Um, And in my um, video and in my last write up that I submitted for the credential, I did speak about this a little bit. And I believe I cited the Democratizing Knowledge website over at Syracuse um, because it should be about when you think about community engagement, about building new publics right between the university and the community, particularly the communities who are, you know, distressed and, and so forth, and bringing them into these types of spaces. And by these spaces, I mean academia, right, to inform us about the unique knowledges that they hold, you know, so that those of us within the academy or within the ivory tower are not not so technocratic. So that's one such uh, goal that I have. Um Another goal that I have, too, is to participate in more what they call participatory action research. So to bring a lot more of what I do as a scholar out into the community. I was already out into out in the community doing ethnographic research, but that particular method requires you to use the community um, or not necessarily use, but to be in concert with the community a lot more, you know? And so that was a strong takeaway that I, I got, you know, going through the micro-credential as a result of reading the materials. Emily, what about you? Uh, sort of new directions or at least questions on the table for you that have been uh, inspired by this experience? Well, having gone through this myself, now I feel that 
our faculty should all go into this. Um, so we, on our campus, we do faculty development workshop for service learning faculty, um, especially the new new faculty who want to do it, but also sometimes veteran faculty to kind of refresh um, for them. But we're a small school and there's only a handful of us. So I, it, it, it it's so nice to have a cohort that's a lot larger than us. And, you know, and to to know that there are others who, especially, you know, in service learning, then people come from different disciplines. So if there are even other, other cohorts where people are in different disciplines could meet up and then talk about how they do their, their, their company engagement, I think that would be a really good direction for all of our faculty to go um, and, and to if they're seeking further development for themselves. And and that, again, you know, now having gone through this process myself, I, you know, I could recommend this to, to the other faculty. Um, and the other directions also, you know, and, and I, Jason mentioned this, you know, there's this larger cohort, right, where you could do, um, who are doing research in the community. And I'm, I'm thinking that, you know, sometimes we, we could do multi-site research a lot of times where I share themes and you know and that would be really valuable because there are regional differences um, and, and you know every community is kind of unique and if if we could as a cohort that's kind of online and but national that if we could do more of the multi-site kind of research to again to seek that alignment and to also get a sense of what's effective again because we, we also have student learning in the center um, what are some of the effective practices that we could share um, across the board. That would be really nice. So, Clayton, you uh, have learned some things through the pilot. uh, And can you talk a little bit about changes that you're making based on the kinds of things you've learned and the kinds of input that came from the the participants in the the pilot round? Yeah, sure. I think one, uh, and I think both Emily and Jason talked about this, is this idea of going through the process and having sort of a peer group uh, with which to communicate one's learning uh, and reflect together and ask the question, I don't know if I'm doing this right, or, you know, how you tie in theory to practice different than I am, what can I learn from you, Um, that these kinds of experiences, uh, folks through the pilot said were important. And I don't think we had enough of them built in. And I don't, I think the way that we were imagining the credential program is that it would be somewhat of an individual experience with which one would come in and sort of go through. And then at the end, people would be tied to other kinds of sort of more communal types of experiences through trainings, um, depending on their expertise, depending on their interest in terms of where they want to develop their competencies more uh, or where their yeah where their expertise is in terms of maybe leading or being part of groups of other people that are sort of exploring the same sorts of directions they're interested in exploring but what we learned from this is I think in the preparatory piece we should have people communicating more and so one of the things we're we're working on is how can pe- we make sure that when people apply to this program they have the option of being connected to some sort of cohort or some sort of larger group of folks uh, that they can be part of uh, the preparation experience with and then while they're going through the credential, have sort of a community of people to stay in conversation with 
Um, and do we see that as helpful for them individually going through the credential, but also as they leave the program? And I think, again, uh, Jason mentioned this is having this sort of ongoing connection to community of people that are thinking about this work in similar ways and pushing themselves to improve the practice and improve the ways they engage in community. So uh, I think that was a big, <clears throat> a big shift that we saw. And one other thing that I would say about the credentialing program and I, and having reviewed both Emily's and Jason's uh, applications, uh, they, they, they had a very good sense and understanding of, of sort of the broad competencies that we that that, that we think uh, sort of as a campus compact as being sort of a representation of uh, a cross section of people really thinking about the work in the field that we we do this work in a way that's really high quality and ethical. And there's a broad set of competencies. There were people that went through the pilot program and doing this work for five plus years, um, doing great work. But for example, we had some that uh, one of the competencies is around equity inclusion. How are you thinking about both your students and the community in terms of uh, sort of dealing with people across difference and the kinds of tensions and opportunities that arise during during the processes of engagement? Um, There were some folks that hadn't thought about that in their work. That wasn't something that they spent time thinking about, um, but we think is important. So if they're not able or not wanting to articulate that, uh, that says something that that's a place they need to push themselves in. So that's something from a, a from a third party credential perspective, we're going to say we, we, this is important work to do. And so there, in, in most cases, we just want to validate what people know, but we also want to make sure that they're professionals that are really thinking broadly about the important issues in this field. And so in that respect, we want to push some people a little bit more. Uh, and that's been, a, a, I think, a great process too. that feedback back and forth between Campus Compact and individuals talking about why are our competencies laid out this way and, 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 and what they mean and why they're important. Jason, I just in that context, I want to follow up on something you said way back at the beginning, uh, hesitation about the idea of professionalizing the work of higher education community engagement. And I'm wondering what's what's the substance of that hesitation? And then what are your different thoughts about about that in this context? Well, Clayton kind of, he just took it out of my, out of my mouth, right? As only Clayton knows how to do. I mean, he's, he's just the perfect speaker. So, um, it's about ethics, right? So, and you know, when you talk about professionalizing something, people tend to, oh, do we need to professionalize? Do we need to professionalize? But I would say when it comes to engaging community, there are certain parts of engaging the community that might needs to be, you know, there may needs to be an overseer to that, right? And that's why I, I think this, this program here in particular is perfect because there are some ethical questions around how we engage the community. And um, so, so when I think about this pro- these processes of professionalization, maybe this could be a vehicle through which we can ensure that when people engage with community, they're doing so ethically. Uh, I know in my uh, submission, that was something that I did hone in uh, because I, you know, again, if you're particularly, like I said, me, I work in the community around policing issues and criminal justice issues. And there are some grave ethical concerns there when you're going into a community, for instance, uh, I went to Ferguson in the aftermath of Mike Brown. You want to think about, um, for instance, the ethical concerns that are, are that are there with just going into, you know, ground zero and engage in the community from the positionality of a scholar, right, and going into this traumatized community. So that's what I kind of meant about um, professionalization. Um, but like I said, to put it another way, paying attention to the ethical context, 
you know, and how the Compass Compact through credentializing programs like these can help us to be aware of these ethical concerns, as well as our privileges, because sometimes it's just a matter of not understanding that you have privilege over some of these communities and you need to be mindful of their humanity as well and their needs. Emily, I know that an issue that has shown up in your teaching, because I found some things you wrote online about this, uh, is kind of the the ways that in Western culture we often, and certainly in the United States, we often marginalize the views of of older people, of more experienced people. And I know that you've you know made a real effort to kind of put call that into question in the way your students are approaching the world. And it, it occurred to me that one of the things we heard as we began to pursue uh, this direction of building a credentialing program from some of the most experienced people in the work of civic and community engagement, some of the people who really laid the groundwork for all this before there were centers and institutes and organizations starting back in the 60s and 70s, was a real concern about uh, were we going to take what is a kind of craft and artisanal practice that's really grounded in human relationships and creativity and turn it into something that's too structured and cookie cutter. And, and I'm wondering what if you were speaking with some of those folks um, based on this experience so far, what, what would your thoughts be about those what I took to be very legitimate concerns? Uh, how, how does it look so far from your perspective? So speaking to those people who want a cookie cutter kind of experience? No, speaking to those who are worried that we're going to create one when when, you know, they built a field that was all grounded in in real relationship development and kind of human to human contact. So so that's a very interesting question. And I think it's there are two two sides to this. One is that I think without laying out the competencies, sometimes people don't know that they need to be competent in those things, <laughs> right? And so I think that's where people who may have spent a lot of time in the field, but because the list wasn't ever given to them, their holes in, in how they might be better um, approaching the community. And, you know, and that's why a cohort or, you know, a, a program or a, you know, a field of people would, would be really beneficial. Um, so that's, that's that's one 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 side of it, right? That laying out the competencies is essential. That we need to know what we're aiming for. And but then on the other hand, yeah, right. We once we have those competencies, people start checking boxes, and, and that's that's not what we want. But that's why the cohort is really beneficial because then we're if if we insist on having people converse with each other and and really you know and if this is a cohort that values um, the competency in building human relationships. And if that's front and central in how we do this work, then we have a culture of, of doing our work in this way where we stay away from checking boxes, right? And one of the things that I, I've started to think about pretty recently is that one of the things that I keep on looking for but can't, haven't been able to find good examples of it, maybe I'm just mixing out and you might know um, somebody already doing this work, is that I don't think we have enough assessment tools and guiding our students 
in building quality human relationships, right? And so we tell our students to do this,、um, but there's not a lot of guidelines in how exactly and and to what. Degree or extent that we want to push them to do this work, it's it's a lot more than thinking about theories, or you know, it's more about the practice, but the practice of what and how, right? And so I, I think you know, and this is where it, it, again, this feels very exciting because we always have new grounds that we might be able to cover,、um, but you know that it, this and and but this is why the work that we do is important. It's building that human relationship, right? And so,、um, yeah,、um, I, I think I think having the micro credential program is something that we, you know, depending on on how it's done,、um, could be be going to the right direction. Yeah, this is it's exciting for me to have this conversation in part because when we first started kicking around the idea for this program, it was really I think about four years ago. Um, some of the things that you both are talking about were really the things that were front burner for us. The idea of setting some targets for people to aspire to in terms of doing this、uh, work in ways that were ethical, that ways that take very seriously the interests of communities beyond the campus, especially those who have faced exclusion from opportunity and especially from academia,、um, and a real desire to create a kind of community of learners. In this work,、um, and so I, I'm feeling good that it sounds like we're we're on the right road.、Uh, even if you know, as as Clayton indicated, we've also learned there's there's more work to be done.、Uh, are there are there thoughts that maybe in closing that each of you might have for people who are kind of thinking about whether they're at a moment where kind of jumping into the the micro credentialing would make sense for them? Do you have any thoughts about kind of when it makes sense, or what makes sense about it, or what kinds of questions they? Might be asking. I think that、um, for those who may feel like, oh, I've gotten this down pat, I don't really need to do it. I think you should do it just for the knowledge that you will that you will get from、um, going through the process. Not only through reading the materials and the resources that the compact will give to you, but also through the cohort. You know, and、um, it's my understanding that the、um, cohort will be used differently as well moving forward. You know, because of some feedback that was given. Although I believe that you know during the first round cohort, the cohort process was fairly good. I mean, I was able to communicate with some folks outside the、um, confines of the phone calls or what have you. So for me, I just felt that that was an individual thing.、Um, but I think you should just—I think people should go through with it and I, and understand that there's no harm and、uh, you know and and. Taken on a process that you know you claim you already know about, <laughs> you know to put it another way,、um, and 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 there's no harm in again earning a micro credential in something that you already do, you know, and that's that's how I came to see it, and I'm happy that I've gone through gone through with it. I'm really proud about it,、um, and again learned a lot,、um, read through many of those resources, and the biggest reward at the end was having to sit down and think deeply about myself. And what I have been able to do, and what I can do moving forward—that's the biggest reward out of it. I think the academia being an individualistic culture <laughs> is not aligned with the actual 
work in the community. And I so so I think in, in a sense, if you feel resistant to having a cohort <laughs> and learning from the community wisdom, um, I, I think there's something to it that that requires self reflection and and the reasons for why one one might want to do the community work. And so what I'm trying to say is that if 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 you're actually passionate about working with the community, there is always value in having a culture of learning from community wisdom, right? And that community could include your other colleagues. Um, and there's never an end to this learning. And so I, I really don't believe that there's a day where where I or, you know, anyone who's working in, in, in this field should feel like I'm done and I got this. I, you know, uh, there's not that day. There's always more new things to learn. And so to have a community that could do this um, and have a culture where people feel that this is needed, that we could continue to move forward, um, I think that it's, it's necessary and essential for our work. So I, I would say, you know, come do this. It doesn't matter where you are. You could be, this could be your first month <laughs> trying to do service learning or any kind of community engagement could be your 20th, 30th year. And I'm, I'm pretty sure that there's still new things to learn in the process of having conversations with our colleagues. And not, and not to mention what you will learn from a, the other folk who will be in that cohort with you, right? One individual person doesn't know everything. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, so, Clayton, what are what are you kind of focused on as you continue to develop, uh, you know, lead this work of developing further micro-credentials? What are kind of the key next steps uh, that, that you're thinking about? Yeah, so we have two micro-credentials launched. And one thing that is worth me- worth saying, and I think it came out well in both both Emily and, and Jason's uh, comments, is that, uh, you know, the way that we develop this program is not to say Campus Compact on high is sort of mandating these, these competencies. Um, we've sort of developed these competencies through ongoing conversations with professionals in the field. So even as folks are applying now, we're looking at their applications and learning from them. And we're using that learning, that understanding to further develop how we're thinking about this work, because we want it to be very inclusive. We want it to be responsive to what folks are doing, the innovations that folks are doing, rather than expecting them to meet some standard. We want to encourage people to be innovative, to think more deeply about this work. Um, So we expect that even the competencies, the two we already have, are going to, you know, they're going to not completely transform, but they're always going to be updated and sort of really thought about um, through reflection in the field. Um, But over the next probably 16 months or so, we're going to roll out another uh, 13 micro credentials, uh, <clears throat> in a number of areas. Um, and, uh, that, that's a very collective process. Each one of those micro credentials going through a vetting process that's reaching out to folks in the field, getting their input from it, eventually goes through a content board we have of experts, uh, that have, you know, that have, um, topical expertise and experience in a number of these areas. Um, and then once we do that, uh, we then lay them out as something that, that professionals can demonstrate competency of, of knowing. Um, and one thing we haven't really talked about, um, because it's it, it daunting in the fact that this is a lot of work we already have to do to get these micro-credentials out, but in the long run, uh, and, and this will be developed within the next year, that that folks uh, can apply for a configuration of these micro-credentials to earn a larger certification as a sort of campus compact certified community-engaged professional. Um, and that will be basically bringing some different micro-credentials together 
having some sort of capstone uh, uh, reflection associated with that, and then earning the credential. So that's something that we want to roll out too, but we don't want to roll that out until we get these competencies sort of out there in circulation and people realizing that each individual one has its own legitimacy, its own importance, but bringing them together is something that professionals have the opportunity to do to really show their broad knowledge and the ability to have been really reflective about the various aspects of this work, about doing this work ethically and effectively. And if people want to learn about all of this, credential.compact.org. And that's where you can also see the beautiful uh, neon-inflected micro-credentials, the digital badges. Uh, and uh, yeah, this has been, for me, great to, to hear about the experience of those of you who've undertaken this work and Clayton, who has been uh, shepherding this process. So Emily, Jason, Clayton, thank you all for joining us on the Compact Nation podcast. Thanks for having us. Thanks for that, Andrew. That was an interesting insight into the pilot. And I also just want to plug, Lena mentioned the special issue of the Journal of Higher Education Outreach and Engagement that she curated around this as well. Um, Recommend that. There are a lot of great authors in that. You know, I might be one of them, but uh, <laughs> it is a, it is a very interesting journal article that kind of dives into some of the specific areas of competency, some research, some reflections, things like that. So I, I would plug that as well. And where can folks learn more about the credential? Credential.compact.org. Credential.compact.org. You can also just go to compact.org. So never forget compact.org. And you can learn about so many things. You can. All right. So we're going to end today with a little bit of pop culture corner. Um, Mine is the whole world right now it feels like (laughs) not really but game of thrones i actually finally got caught up last night so as of last night i am on the same page with um many americans at least uh in terms of that i my husband and i have had a lot of interesting conversations about like what what it is george r r martin the author although i think we're past the book so then i guess what the showrunners and and them are trying to say about leadership and governance (laughs) and i'm not sure it's anything positive (laughs) but um there's some interesting themes there uh, around um leadership traits, I guess I would say, whether the best leaders are the ones who want, really, really want to be leaders or whether maybe the best leaders are those who really don't want that role necessarily. That's definitely one of the themes I'm taking away from it. Um, I don't watch Game of Thrones, so I'll watch it after I'm finished with the dissertation. That seems like a good plan. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What do you guys got? What are you into? Andrew, go ahead. So I just finished listening to a podcast series. I don't know whether there's going to be another season of it. So I either listened to the first season or the whole podcast. Uh, It's called Against the Rules. It's by Michael Lewis. Michael Lewis is the author of a lot of books, The Big Short, Moneyball, Liar's Poker. And he's one of those people who's just really good at 
Uh, well, apparently he's good at getting his books made into movies. That's one thing. But he's also good at taking very complicated things and um, teasing them apart through the stories of people involved in them. So breaking, uh, sorry, against the rules is about the decline of the referee in American life. And he means the referee in a broad sense. So he does start out, the first one is about basketball, but he uses that as a basis for talking about how neutral third parties who people accept as arbiters in various situations are disappearing around us. And he talks about the consequences for all sorts of aspects of life, for political life, economic life, et cetera, of losing this uh, as we become more and more suspicious or as the referees basically get bought off in various settings, which is a lot of what the story's about. And it's re- it's really Just interesting. Just like the coaches. Like the coaches. Was, yeah. well, yes, exactly. So that's it. Like admissions offices, right? Like a right. process. I mean, that's not one of the ones he talks about, but a process that people want to believe is fair and uh, you and that fiction could be maintained for a long time. And then you know, it gets exploded. And obviously there was always a fictional dimension to that. But once you've lost faith in it, it's totally gone. And, you know, there's a lot of, um, yeah, just a lot of different dimensions of life. He, so he looks at judges. He looks at the, the markets, the exchanges in, you know, the financial markets um, and uh, a number of other things. But it's it's really good. This is a podcast, you said? Yeah. So a podcast called? called Against the Rules. Michael Lewis. And, um, you know, you can find it all the places you uh, subscribe to podcasts, including this one that you're listening to right now. (laughs) Well, I somebody covered that briefly to plug his podcast, This American Life, maybe, because I've heard like a a tiny bit of it. And it was actually really interesting. Yes, I think that first one on NBA officials, they put in the uh, This American Life feed. Yeah. So I have a few for Pop Culture Corner. So um, first, uh, I'll just go off of a podcast. I've been listening to this podcast called Healing Justice. And uh, the one, the last one I listened to was around this idea of consent um, and the consent in a lot of different ways. But this idea of um, our bodies being sovereign. Um, And so just thinking about what that means in terms of consent, especially given sort of what's happening now. Um, And um, I don't know, it makes me think about, I want to do some work on that policy work about sovereign bodies. Um, And then um, Endgame, the Avengers Endgame. So there's a scene in there and, you know, billions of people have watched it already, so I'm not giving out anything. But there's a scene in there, which I think they should have ended the movie with. But all the female superheroes come out at the same time and they're like, we got this. And I was like, it was amazing I was so excited and then they now I might actually want to see it yeah it was it was pretty badass can I say that on podcast badass you can now (laughs) (laughs) Um, and then the last one is um, so I grew up in the 90s and uh, married with children so I just watched Dead to Me on Netflix uh, with Christina Applegate and it was so so good so I recommend that to, to folks it's I just had an insight twisted. because when you said you grew up in the 90s with married with children, I guess the reason I never really understood why that show was good was just because I'm old. 
Yeah, I think that's it. Yeah, yeah, that could be it. That helps. I never really understood why I never understood that show. Too old. Yeah, Probably old. too elitist as well, if mm, I'm being I honest. Know, I, I, <laughs> We're working class people, you know. <laughs> Teenagers. And... No, no I, I think my TV uh, appreciation is quite broad, actually. Uh, to, to my credit or not, I'm, I'm not taking a position on that. I don't think that's the issue. I think old. <laughs> okay, we'll you'll go stick, with old. You'll, you'll stick with old. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And speaking of 90s, I'm really excited because in June, I'm going to see Diggable Planets uh, in concert here in Chicago. And I haven't seen them in years. Yeah. I love it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, Dave Matthews Band was here in Des Moines last night, which I don't care about, but apparently everyone else who lives in Iowa does. So, <laughs> <laughs> speaking of the 90s. Yeah, that's actually another cultural phenomenon I've never really understood is Dave and Matthews. And I'm not as old as you, and I've never understood yeah. the love for Dave Matthews Band. Well, what so. I don't understand is it seems to occupy basically a cultural position already occupied by Jimmy Buffett. And I may be too young to no, understand Jimmy Buffett. No, Jimmy Buffett's oh, a little bit older. Com- no, no, I that's know, unfair. but what I'm saying is it's like a sort of like completely light, superficial, not very good music. You go in the summer, people smoke and drink. Like, that's what it's about. It's like, how many of those do you... I don't understand why a second guy can make a career like that. Oh, I think we just offended a lot of people. No, no. Stop <laughs> Sorry, podcast listeners. <laughs> no, I'm a, you, know, no, you know, hashtag Compact Nation Pod, etc. We're, oh, okay. we're, we're open let's, to let's the just, dialogue. Let's just, um, let's just end at, like, we've offended Parrot Heads and Dave Matthews Band fans, which <laughs> Just like my my like own we might my be own okay family with the demographic of our listenership. I don't know. I don't know. It, that, well, that's what we're gonna learn. <laughs> All right, fine. Thanks everybody for listening. Even if you're a fan of one of those two musical acts, um, and we hope you will continue to listen. <laughs> <laughs> To us, that is. If you have opinions about this episode, I guess including what we just said. Send them to um, Andrew. Sure. That's it's right. AJ. Go for it. That's all good. Yeah. I like the conversation. Podcast at compact.org. Hashtag compact nation pod. Thank you for listening. As always, subscribe, rate us, all that good stuff. Um, helps us find new people who might be into this. So have a great week. We'll see you soon. Bye. Bye-bye. Compact Nation podcast comes to you from Campus Compact's national headquarters in Boston, Massachusetts. Our hosts are Marisol Morales, Emily Shields, and me, Andrew Seligson. Our producer is Molly Leeper. Music is by Andrew Savage. As always, you can find us online at compact.org slash podcast or on social media at hashtag compactnationpod. Thanks for listening. And remember, until you're satisfied that the world is good enough, keep doing something.